Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh, and I want to thank you for joining me. I am so glad you are listening in today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. This week is part two of our series on why the church matters with a command from the letter to the Hebrews to hold fast to God. Let's get into the message. This week, we are going to focus on Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, that calls us to hold unswervingly. And that phrase brings to my mind walking our 80-pound Labrador retriever, Sophie. Lately, we've been taking her on more and more walks, and as much as we love to take that dog on walks, it is also a stressful and slightly torturous event. I like to describe walking the dog like walking a wild freight train. Truly, from the moment that we open the garage door to set out till we are nearly finished with the walk, Sophie's enthusiasm is doing its best to pull our very arms off. If either I or Betsy wants to succeed in walking the dog, we must hold on for dear life. Now, I also believe that our dog walks twice as far as we do on these walks. While Betsy and I walk along the sidewalk, Sophie zips back and forth like a ping-pong pole between every single tree and rock and fire hydrant. With each new zig and zag, the dog tests the strength of our shoulder sockets. More than a few times in her mad dash back and forth, she has entangled us all in her leash, and we've had to spend a few moments trying to unwrap and figure out how to get out of the mess. Just a few days ago, Betsy and I were finishing our walk, and we remarked at the end of the walk about how well the dog was doing. She was so much calmer. She was starting to relax. It was wonderful. And then it happened. We looked down the sidewalk, and there stood a little squirrel. It looked at us, and we looked at it, and then Sophie looked at the squirrel, and we thought, no! In unison, we gasped, and Sophie took off with all of her might after that squirrel, pulling poor Betsy behind her, because Betsy was the one holding the leash, and my goodness, I am so glad Betsy stayed up and wasn't pulled down to the ground. She held on. She held on, and she reeled that dog in, and I tell you, that squirrel climbed up the nearest tree and laughed at us. Needless to say, walking the dog is an activity that leaves us all exhausted. Now, our text today calls every Christian, the church, all the church, because we're talking about the church, to hold unswervingly to the promise of God. So, if you want to hold fast to God's hope, you need the church. You need to stand unswervingly on your profession of faith, and you need to keep a wary eye towards that which would loosen your grip on God's promise. This is our second week talking about the church. And last week, I just remind you that we talked about how the church is not a building, though we often call the building we meet in the church. The church is rather the assembly of the people of God. It's the group. It's the followers of Christ. You who are Christians, you are the church. Remember, the church is God's design, and it's God's choice for how the believer is to grow in maturity and carry out God's plan. So, we need the church. The text that we are anchored in for this series is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. In this text, you will find three commands marked by the phrase, let us. Let's read that longer text now. 
beginning in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So there are those three commands. Let us draw near to God, which we talked about last week. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. That's what we're going to talk about this week. And then next week, let us spur one another on. Yes, each of these calls to action fits into your life individually, but to truly get to do them well, to truly live out these commands, you must remember the real power of each of these commands is when the church, when the community of Christians work together. So, let's go to that second directive again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. I'll read it for you again. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast. Ah, you are called to hang on to God, to hang on to his promise, to hang on to the gospel. We do not need to do too much digging to understand the phrase hold. You know, I like to dig into those Greek words, but really, hold really means what it says, to hold. Different English translations might uh, say it uh, with a different collection of words. One says hold, one says hold fast, another hold tightly, hold firmly. But it's all about holding, hanging on, not letting go. The idea is that we are to hold on with determination and strength. In the Greek, the word is in the present tense, which means, and we should always remember this when the word in Greek is in the present tense, which is as long as it is now, we need to keep on doing this. So, we keep on holding fast. And holding fast is a warning. We should hear that. We are told to hold fast. We're being warned that we can do something else. We can let go. If God must tell us to hold fast, that means, wow, it's we're in danger. Watch out. Don't let go. We don't want to do that. Hudson Taylor writes this. There are three stages to every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then it is difficult. And then it is done. Hmm. And that's what will happen when we hold fast. We hold fast in the moments when it feels impossible. We hold fast in the moments when it feels difficult. And then before you know it, we're still holding fast to God, to the gospel, to the teachings we have heard, and it is done. We've gotten through the issue. We're stronger. Now, this is not the first time that holding fast is mentioned in the letter to the Hebrews, and it's certainly not the first time in the New Testament. But I want to just read a few of those other verses in the letter to the Hebrews to let you hear that there is a consistent call to hold on to, to hold firmly. And so, here we have Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are His house. I think that's another indication we're the church. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And Hebrews 4, chapter 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. 
And then there's the hold unswervingly that we read about in Hebrews 10.23 already today. Four times in the letter to the Hebrews, we are commanded to hold on, to hold firmly, to hold unswervingly, to hold on to the confidence, to hold on to the conviction, to hold firmly to the faith we profess, and to hold on to the hope that we profess. Holding on is our calling as the church. We need to find out what we're holding on to. And these are times when we need to hold on. So, what are we holding on to? Well, the text tells us to hold on to the hope that we profess. Hebrews 10.23 asks us to hold on to hope. And that's an important phrase to hear and grab, grab on to. We literally hold on to. It's a hope. And, and I always talk about this when we see the word hope in the scripture, because our culture says something else about hope today. We say, oh, I hope that things are going to work out. I hope the weather's going to be good today. I hope my favorite team will win. And we talk in our culture about hope like it's a wish. But rather, hope in the scripture is the expectation and belief in the fulfillment of something. I know this is going to happen. My hope is in the promises. And so, in our case as Christians, our hope is a future certainty that God wins. God has the promise of heaven that we become his people. This hope in the New Testament can be chiefly described in two ways. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, which I read a few moments ago, mentioned that we are God's house, that we hold on to the fulfillment of the promises God of promises of God as his people. So, firstly, we hold on to the promise of God for redemption and for heaven. And secondly, very often through scripture, the hope described to us is Jesus, Jesus himself. Paul's letter to Titus mentioned this, mentions this word hope three times, and we can hear very clearly hope for eternity, the future promises of God, uh, hope that we are uh, God's people, it's wrapped up in that eternity, and then Jesus as our hope. So, here from Titus chapter 1 verse 2, in the hope of eternal life. And it starts out right away on that, which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time. In chapter in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, we're going to read that Jesus is our hope himself. And it says there in Titus 2, 13, it says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's saying we're waiting for a blessed hope who is Jesus, is what it's saying. So, our hope is eternity. Our hope is Jesus. And then Titus 3, 7, to wrap it up again, says, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternity eternal life. So, we hold on to the hope. But then in Hebrews 10.23, we have a description of what, looks like, of what it looks like to hold unswervingly to that hope. So, it's not just holding, it's holding unswervingly. It is the hope that we profess. We're unswervingly holding on to a hope that we profess. That's important our profession of belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.2 says this, By this gospel, 
you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And there's an old parable Jesus tells. An old parable. I shouldn't say it that way. But it's that one I remember as a kid hearing about, about the four soils, the seed falling on the different soils. And, you know, there's some holding on happening on to that. There's some uh, warning about what happens when you don't hold on to what you're being taught, to what you're to profess, to what you're to believe in. It's there in Luke chapter 8, verse 10. Verse 15, it says, I'm talking about the seed, it says, But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Now, it doesn't say hold, but I think you can hear that word. They, they, we receive the, the, the teaching, and so it's seed landing on the good soil, and we retain it, we hold on to it, and then we hold on to it firmly, steadfastly, unswervingly. We persevere, and so we produce a crop. So we are to hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Craig Coster describes that we do this by both internally and externally professing. Internally, we profess in our hearts that we believe and hang on to the saving power of Christ. And externally, we're to profess in a way that makes our faith public to others. So we hold on unswervingly to the faith that we profess, to the hope we profess. We do it in our hearts. I believe this. I know it. And we do it vocally. We do it outwardly so that the world can see. How do you hold on? Inwardly and outwardly. And you don't let go. Now, our world presents tremendous pressure on the Christian to let go. And the theme of our times is to hold fast to yourself. That's what our culture would say. Hang on to you. Do what's good for you. Be true to you. And to do otherwise, our culture would say, is a betrayal of yourself. But nothing is further from the truth. The only hope for you and for me is to hold on to Jesus to hold on to Him as our King, to hold on to Him as our Savior. If we do anything else, we are in danger of losing eternity. (sighs) C.S. Lewis writes these words, You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. And holding fast is a matter of life and death. So, we're to keep a hold got to keep hold on what we profess, that Jesus is Lord, He is our Savior, that He has salvation for us. But we also need to keep a wary eye towards that which would loosen our grip. So, like our dog Sophie spotting a squirrel on a walk, there is much in this world that would cause you to lose your grip on the hope of Christ, to cause you to chase after some other fancy thing. And unswervingly is how we are to hold on. If we want to stand firm, we must know uh, what can cause us to wander. So, I just want to mention a few ways that we can wander and lose the ability to hold unswervingly. One of the ways that we can uh, let go or wander is by distractions. There's so many distractions in our world today, Uh, good distractions and bad ones, Uh, sinful ones, and really healthy ones. But there's all kinds of things that are not the gospel, that are not Jesus, that we can be running after with all of our might. It's a distraction, and it's dangerous. Onimus, a Roman, said this, a gladiator's first distraction is his last. 
Oh, if we were to take that so seriously as Christians, that every distraction we could come across could be our last as a people of faith. Distraction often looks like a nice reprieve, a rest, and we seldom see how dangerous it is. Our world is full of distraction. We can be distracted by, as I mentioned, good things. The problem is distraction pulls us off of course. Distraction can cause us to loosen our grip on the hope that we profess. You know the distractions of the world. I don't need to list them out. But here's a thought to consider. Beware of that which you give yourself to that causes you to pause your walk with Jesus. Are you involved in anything? Are you a part of something that when you walk into it, you turn off who you are in Christ? It could be your work. Could be a hobby you do. Could be some friends you hang out with. Could be something uh, that you enjoy doing in your spare. I guess that's a hobby. But is there something you do that when you go to it, you turn off your faith? Is there someone that you're with and they ask you to turn off your faith? I mean, it's one thing to be polite and not to get into someone's face about Jesus. But it's another when a person says, you know what, we don't need that Jesus stuff here. And so you choose to turn off your Christian faith. That's a distraction that's really dangerous. It's, it's, it causes us to wander, to let go. If you're engaged in any activity or friendship that requires you to put your faith on a shelf or to hide the presence of Jesus in your life, you are toying with a distraction that may cause you to swerve in your faith. Secondly, I think another way we can wander is with doubt. Dallas Willard writes these words. He says, we live in a culture that has for centuries now cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. You can be almost as stupid as a cabbage as long as you doubt. Wow, what words. I mean, you can see that in our culture. We value the skeptic and we kind of get suspicious with the person who believes without thinking, or at least uh, hopefully as Christians, we don't. I get it. I get it. Life is hard. Life can hurt. Life can punch you in the gut. And these most difficult moments can cause the best of us to wonder where God is. And why can he let life hurt so much and so badly? And then doubt creeps in. God, why? Are you really so good? And he is good. Please know, God can handle your doubts. He can handle your struggles. He wants your faith. But he doesn't want you to live in your doubts forever. At some point, you've got to say, you know what? I'm going to believe instead of doubt. Robert Oxton Bolt says, A belief is not merely an idea the mind possesses. It is an idea that possesses the mind. And so our belief will help us to overcome those doubts. Our text today calls us to hold on even through our doubts. One of the great, one of the great helps in this promise is God's faithfulness to us. In a world of doubts, in a world of hurry, in a world of change, it is vital that we know that God is unchangeable. He is always faithful. The theological term for this is immutable, which simply means unchanging, unchanging over time and unable to be changed. That's God. You and I, we flip-flop. We grow. We stop. We zigzag all over the place, kind of like my dog on the walk. Doubts are often born in the zigzags of life, but God... He does not zigzag. He does not change. He is steady. Don't let doubts cause you to swerve in your faith. 
A third way that we can wander in our faith is through pressure. Maybe you call it peer pressure or pressure from the culture or whatever, but wow, growing up, I remember my parents and teachers warning about succumbing to peer pressure and never would have I imagined the pressure that Christians constantly live under right now from our culture. This is perhaps the greatest way that we are tempted to swerve right now in our world. Our times have declared public opinion to be king. The popular opinion is now judge, and the flow of the people is our guide for life. What everybody else is doing, we should do that too. That's how our world seems to be working, and it's dangerous. I'm going to not get this name right. Luc de Clapiers says that the art of pleasing is the art of deception. Oh my goodness, think about that. The art of pleasing is the art of deception. Hmm. Please. Please hold fast to the gospel, to the word of God given to you. Even if you feel pressure, even if you feel like the world's calling the Christian faith outdated, hold fast to the gospel. Too many people hold fast to the trends of our times. Don't be that person. Fourth way we can wander is when there are overwhelming emotions. Emotions are a beautiful gift from God. To feel the elation of joy and the grief of sorrow. Those are both beautiful gifts from God that we would be capable of that. We would all be poorer if we were numb to emotion. But you must be wary of the strength of emotion, of the force of emotion. Emotions can form a torrent in moments and bring havoc into your world. Fear Anger, even happiness unchecked, can loosen our grip on the hope we profess. Do not let overwhelming emotions get the best of you. Franklin Roosevelt said this, because we often think of his famous quote, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But this other quote, I think, is very important. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. Hmm. I think the same could be said of anger and of grief and of any other emotion. The Christian must determine that Christ is more important than whatever fear or whatever emotion is dominating us. An author, Elizabeth Elliot, writes these words, It is Christ who is to be exalted, not our feelings. We will know him by obedience, not by emotions. We will love Our love will be shown by obedience, not by how good we feel about God at a given moment. And love means following the commands of God. Do you love me, Jesus asked Peter? Feed my lambs. He was not asking, how do you feel about me? Love is not a feeling. He is asking for action. So don't let your emotions overwhelm you. Lastly, when it comes to holding on to the faith we profess, We need to know that we are to hang on with the help of the church. I want you to take a moment and think of a game of tug of war, except think of one person on one side of the rope and one person on the other. Uh, You could picture maybe me. I'm not a little guy. I'm a big guy, you know, I'm 300 pounds plus. Okay, I'm not little, six foot tall. Now, if you tied on the end of that other end of the rope, or if you had someone grab on the end of that rope, just maybe an eight or nine year old, who do you think would win? Probably me. I'm just a big guy. They can't pull me down. And yet, if you put on the other end of rope opposite of me, three or four or five of those students, same size, 
they'd win every time because they're together. Together they are much more able to hang on and hold the ground and pull than I could. And that's what the church is here to do. What is wonderful is that we are all different. All of us are different. All of us are different sizes, shapes, have different stories, different histories, but we're all able to help. Patricia Fripp says this, a team is a group of people who may not be equal in experience, equal in talent, or even equal in education, but they are equal in commitment. So we are to hold unswervingly together. So if you want to hold fast, you need the church and you need to focus intently on the task of holding firm. I want to read a story. So I think it'll help with this picture. It's a story that talks about what you can do when you are focused on a goal. We are to be focused as Christians on holding on to the faith we profess, okay, or the hope we profess. But we're not to do it alone. We're to do it together. And so, I'm going to read a story, and the story is about a boy. But you'll hear in the story, he's determined. He does this really well, but others help him, and together an amazing thing happens. So, it goes like this. Little Martin Rowe lived on a farm with his family in rural Georgia. When he was six years old, Martin was riding the tractor with his father. When the massive machine turned over, the little boy was hurt so badly, he lost the use of one of his arms and he suffered damage to the other. While in the hospital, the family incurred $32,000 of debt. One day, he heard his mother and father talking outside in the hallway uh, of his room door, and his mother was weeping and wondering how they were going to pay off such a large amount of money. When they came into the room, Martin informed his mom that he was going to pay off the bill himself. She responded as you and I would, thanking him for his concern, but knowing silently, silently that such a goal was a fantasy for a child. But when Martin Rowe got out of the hospital, he began to pick up bottles on the side of the road every day after school, redeeming those bottles for cash. After several months, he collected $400 and brought this to his mother. About that time, Martin learned that aluminum cans could be redeemed and began collecting those as well. Then the Reynolds Aluminum Company heard of the little boy's endeavor and put him in touch with the Bear Archery Company in Gainesville, Florida, and the two companies began donating their scrap aluminum to this young man. Every day after school, for five years, Martin continued to pick up cans after school, and at 11 years of age, he walked into the hospital and paid off his $32,000 of debt. Martin's story is amazing because a little boy motivated by his great love for his parents seized on a goal. Having put his feet on a path to attain the goal, he stayed to it unswervingly until its end. He was tenacious because he had a worthy, though formidable task that called him away from other distractions. He lived a long-term obedience to his calling and was rewarded in the end. I love that story. I think it's a great one. It takes resolve to live a long obedience to the call of God. What a story of focus and mission. God has called you to hold fast to Him. Will you do it? And will you help the person sitting next to you? Will you help the neighbor next door? Will you pray for those that are in the church, though you may not see them all the time? Because we are in this together. We are the church. We need the church. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for giving us the church. Help us to hold fast to Jesus. Lord, there is so much in our lives that that is asking for our time, for our attention, for us to let go of you and help us to hang on to you instead. 
Lord, help us to encourage one another to hold unswervingly unto you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. As always, I say, as a blessing to you, but also a reminder of who we walk with, go with Jesus. Jesus.